welcome to another week and another episode of Echoes from the Void. Ah, so it finally happened. Had the last supper. Yeah. Um, yeah, spent the weekend with, um, that, that, you know, in this chick I've been seeing for the last few months. Um, yeah, and now she has left the country. So it's like so weird. You know what I mean? Just like leading up to this moment, just being like, yeah, so it's done. It's finished. We're done. But, you know, it was a nice weekend, though. I had a nice weekend, got some good food, just chilled and kicked it, watched some shit on TV, couple episodes of Black Mirror, you know what I mean? Shit like that. You know what I mean? Just, yeah, just ended it on a nice note. But, hey, you know what I mean? One chapter ends. Another one begins, I suppose. So, um, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll have to see, um, what life has to bring now, right? <laughs> but, um, okay. So, uh, let's get into this week's episode and see what crazy shit is going on in the world, alright? Boom. Okay, so here's a weird story, right? Um, well, I mean, it's not a weird story, but there's stuff in the story that's kind of like, huh? So... A guy is, you know, he's engaged, he's going to get married And um, him and 30 friends are going on a stag do to Ibiza uh, You know Now, they're at the airport And then they realise their travel documents aren't really travel documents They've been forged so what happened was um the uh the guy gave his fiance their um stagdu kitty. He asked her to look after it and I, I believe she was meant to um book the flights. And um instead she uh yeah, she spent the money. She spent the money. £11,160. She spent it. Spent it. And so, yeah, instead of admitting, yo, duh, yeah, uh, it was a mistake. Uh, this happened. She managed to forge these travel documents. And they only discovered at the airport. Now, what's there's so many weird things about this whole situation. Because usually it's the best man or one of the other good friends that kind of organises the stag. So I'm like, why the fuck are you giving the money to your fiancé? 
So that's weird. Like, and the fact that there was no keeping track of the money seems really fucking weird. Because, yeah, like, the, the, from the moment, because it, it doesn't make any sense, because you've collected the money, so straight away you book, or usually you don't even collect the money, you just tell people, yo, this is where we're staying, you book your flight, we're staying at this hotel, this is the code to give for the deal, blah, 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 so it's just like, it's a weird kind of situation, and, um, yeah, it's like, she forged travel documents. Now, I don't know. She doesn't sound like a, a master forger. So, yeah, how dumb are these people? <laughs> because you, you know, what I mean, it's like when you get those forged emails, those emails that are meant to be from your bank. You can always tell. You can always tell. I remember I got one, because everyone's like, oh yeah, they can fool people, I got, I've had a few come through, and straight away, you're just like, yeah, this is bullshit, you can tell it's bullshit, so I'm like, how the fuck did she hand out, you know what I mean, there's 30 people and him, and none of them twigged that this, these things she's given everyone is bullshit, it's kind of like, what the fuck is wrong with all these people? I mean, you know, it sounds like there's a lot of um, dull pencils in that box. But, you know, that's by, to, by the by. But, see, the thing that I find really crazy... So, this all went to court. And, um... So the stag dude, the dude that was meant to be getting married, he's like, oh, we don't want our money back, we just want, ju and I'm like, yo, you don't want your money back? I'm like, fuck, I want my money back, do you mean someone's fucking conned me, and especially in this situation, nah, I want my fucking money back, do you mean, so... But yeah, so he's a dumbass and he said that But Yo She ain't going to jail So the judge gave her a 15 month um, Jail term uh, Sorry, so he suspended a 15 month jail term for two years And ordered her to complete 240 hours of unpaid work and rehabilitation and she's been ordered to pay 3600 in compensation. Kind of feel that's getting off lightly. Because, so there's not just theft there, but there's fraud. And when people, like, you know, you, grannies go to jail for um, not paying a, a few months of council tax... So it's just a bit like, how the fuck did she not go to jail? This is just, it's weird. Because that's premeditated. You know what I mean? She's, she stole the money and then she hid it. It's not like she stole the money, came clean, tried to work it out. 
but they were like, nah, we're pressing, we, we want this bitch to go, we get in trouble, you know what I mean, we're taking a, we're taking it to court, it's not that, so, yeah, it kind of baffles me how she avoided jail, and especially when you see other people going to jail for kind of lesser shit, it's weird, so weird, yeah, I'm just like, how, how did these dudes not twig, not twig, because they only twigged when they're in the airport, and, you know, the travel staff are like, um, yeah, we can't take this, <laughs> it's, it seems insane, it, it, it's, it's baffling to me, it's very odd, but, um, yeah, it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> you know? Odd. Just so odd. Okay, right. Here's a story that makes no sense whatsoever, right? So, Netflix has added... Well, they haven't even added. They're trialing a, um, a new function for... So, it seems like it's just for tablets um, and phones, um, and that's the function to, um, allow viewers to speed up or slow down its, um, TV shows and movies, right, it's on trial, okay, so this isn't a function for, um, computers or TVs, just mobiles, tablets, that's it, Right, and a, a, a few kind of directors, Brad Bird, Judd Apatow, and a lot of others have come out against um, Netflix for doing this. Like, Apatow has said it's ridiculous and insulting, right? But that makes no sense whatsoever, doesn't make any sense, because, you know, on DVD players, on, you know, video recorders, there has always been a fast forward and a rewind, and now you've got the fast forward and rewind at different speed rates, right, it's always been a function, you know, you get it on um, radios, iPods, like, you can do, that's what you can do, you know, and the other thing about, um, you know, something appearing on a DVD or a streaming platform, you can pause it, and, you know, a lot of, you know, creators will say, my my content should be watched all the way through, without breaks, so that is the benefit of being able to watch something in your own home, in your own space, that you control the narrative of how you consume that information, so it seems weird that they're going at Netflix for giving people an option 
and something they've asked for. It's something they've asked for. Now, what's a, 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 a thing that's like another thing that's odd is, right? It's not going to be. It's probably not even going to be half of people. You know, use this option. It's not even going to be that. Most people are going to consume it in the format it's meant to be consumed in. That's what they're going to be doing. It's going to be a small number of people, a small percentage that will be like, yeah, I'll I'll watch it in as fast a speed. Another weird thing, right? So there's people, that other people that have complained about this, uh, people that have admitted... That's what they do with music and podcasts, that they'll sometimes play them in a faster speed. And they're complaining that this is a feature. It's just like you can't complain because you do it anyway. So you can't complain that it's an option. Now, right, these all these directors and stuff, they give talks. They they you mean they go out and they talk to people and blah blah blah. So they can they can just say, look, just talk to your fan bases and say, look, this is how I feel this needs to be watched. And you'll find most people will adhere to that. They will do that. But don't, like, it seems weird to complain that to Netflix for adding this. It's like, complainer to... LG, Samsung, Philips, you know, Sony, and be like, huh, how can your TVs, videos, DVD players have a rewind and a fast forward? It's detrimental to how, you know, our thing, our content is consumed. It's ridiculous. It's a trial, morons. It's a trial. And just because you feel that, you know, your your content should be in this format doesn't mean everyone wants to do that. Like Brad Bird said, Welp, another spectacularly bad idea and another cut to the already bleeding out cinema experience. Why support and finance filmmakers' visions on one hand and then work to destroy the presentation of those films on the other? It's a moron. It's a moronic thing to say. It really is. And listen, people, I would say that to anyone's face. If, if you're in a producer wanted to have a conversation about this, I'd do that. Um, because this is what I believe. You can't dictate to people. If they want to watch things sped up, let them do it. Let them do it. Like, it, it's no... You know, it's, it's not on you. You're not losing out. You're not losing money. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, because... If being angry at that is like being angry at people that hated that film, that TV show. So are you going to be angry at everyone that hates it? 
Because that's their prerogative. That's their choice. So is watching it at a faster or slower speed. As faster or what the fuck was that? A A faster or slower speed. You know what I mean? Just let people do what the fuck they want to (laughs) do. That's all you have to do, man. Fuck. So people just want a reason to bitch. It's fucking ridiculous. It really is. Okay, so as mentioned, one of the things watched over the weekend was this K-pop documentary. Now, I was intrigued just because, like, um, a friend of mine's daughter is so into K-pop, it's crazy. You know what I mean? She loves just all of it. And just seeing how it, it's like got bigger and bigger over the last just the last few years is um it's kind of crazy. So you know, I thought, hey, I'll give this I'll give this thing a watch. It's called um K-pop idols inside the hit factory. And um that, so this is the breakdown from the BBC website. The K-pop phenomenon is shaking up the pop world. For the first time ever, there is a serious challenge to the West domination of the global music industry. Leading the way is the biggest boy band in the world, BTS. But how has this happened? Music journalist James Ballardi travels to South Korea to uncover the secrets behind this worldwide success story and to find out how, in just 20 short years, the music industry in the country came from obscurity to become a major player on the world stage. In the summer of 2019, BTS played two sold-out performances at the UK's most iconic venue, Wembley Stadium, the catchy pop songs, bombastic beats, good looks and natty dance moves have captivated young pop fans worldwide and sent them to the top of the charts in the US and beyond. To try and understand this latest pop explosion, James heads to Seoul and goes inside the K-pop industry. He meets Su Man Lee, the Svengali-like figure who has helped shape Korean pop music for over 30 years and still drives giant K-pop company SM Entertainment's vision today. He also catches up with some of the songwriters, producers, music video makers and the idols themselves, from the biggest names in the industry to newcomers. Among them are members of EXO, NCT, 127, Shiny, and Wavy, all bands with millions of fans around the world. They were all part of a new star-studded supergroup, Super M. Their success in Asia will be guaranteed, but can they replicate BTS's global achievements? James meets Super N as they prepare to be launched on the world. So yeah, that's um that's the breakdown, right? So you're kind of 
you're kind of watching this looking for like the breakdown right you're you're looking for this in depth analysis of the k-pop industry like the processes and like just how it's all come together and just everything like that that is not what we get it's not what we get this is this is crazy right so we're told james Ballardi is a a music journalist he's meant to be a journalist if if he was a journalist, I I feel he must be so embarrassed by this piece of work because it's dreadful. This this isn't a documentary. This is a fluff piece for K-pop. That's all it is. No hard hitting questions are asked. Nothing like. When certain things like he's like, you know, he's told by this Fengali guy, he's like, oh yeah, so we take young kids from, you know, like 11, I might even be, might have been younger than 11, and he's like, yeah, we take them, and then we just groom them, and control, and just develop them, and he's just like, oh yeah, 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 so that makes sense, boom, 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 and it's not like, don't you worry that people could, you you know what I mean, just like, with all the revelations about molestation, and just the shit going on around the world, and in music, right, doesn't ask those questions, he doesn't ask about the fact that these bands look the same, they all look the same, same hairstyles, same hair colouring, same, basically the same clothing, it is, like, he's not asking these questions, he's not asking anything, and all we get from him is, I think I've got a better understanding now of what this is, that's, that's the phrase he uses throughout this, but he never, nothing ever gets broken down, it's not really a documentary, it's definitely not journalism, it really isn't, it's such a fluff piece, it's terrible, it is, and every time he meets people, he's like, oh, let's take a selfie, this is all he wanted to do, take selfies with people, it's, it's the, the worst, and Look, not trying to sound bad or anything, but I feel the the only reason this was able to become something is because Baladi's in a wheelchair. So it, it lets the BBC have um you know meet a quota on something. Because this isn't good TV. We learn nothing within this hour. It's not good TV. So, how could it be put together? How, like, how is it no one's ripped it apart for what it is? There's no insights. There is nothing. If he's told something, 
he agrees with it wholeheartedly. There's only he never questions anything that is said to him. And that's just kind of shocking. There's, you know, he, he's been told things that are a bit like, hmm, that sounds a bit questionable. Now, listen, not saying that, you know, some of the things that are talked about haven't been done in other places. I'm not saying that. But that still doesn't mean they're right. And it doesn't mean that things shouldn't be questioned or even just delved delve into just a little bit. Jerry, like, why do all the groups have so many people in? Don't you think that's a bit and every time like so they'll go, oh, we're gonna visit um the studio today and some of the producers are in there. And so then the producers are all nodding along to this and he's like, Oh yeah, you can see that they they feel they've really made a good song because they're all dancing in the studio. It's just like the camera's pointing at them. What do you think they are going to do? You know what I mean? Like, what do you think they're going to do? It is so... Everything is so thin. It's so thin. Like, you have one point where he goes to a concert. And um, the fans have these, like, light sticks. And supposedly these fans get together in forums and stuff and... Create these chants that they do in between the lyrics, and he's like, at the beginning, you see he's sitting there, and then they go, "Oh yeah, man, it's it's kind of crazy." Like you hear all this chanting, then they go back to cut back to him at the end of the concert. He's like, "I think now I've got a better understanding of like why the fans do this," and yeah. It's really so powerful and it's blah, blah, blah. It's just like you've been to one concert like, and you're trying to make this sweeping statement and declare that you've now got clarity on something. It, it, it's, it's a terrible bit of work. It, it, it's just insanely bad. And I, I'm just shocked that it it made it to TV in this format. Because it, it's just not good. And don't get me wrong, listen. I'm all I'm I feel I'm pretty fair with things. If if something you know there's a lot of things I don't like, but I'm like, yeah, I can see an audience for that. But I feel this it just offers no one anything a fan of um k-pop they might get glimpses of like some of the people they like but it's not even really giving them anything new i have no clue what this is it's just it's literally just a fluff piece for k-pop that's it that's all i can see about this it's insane Okay, so this is just fucking ridiculous, right? You, it's, it's one of those things where bureaucracy, 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 doesn't sound right, right? 
But you know what the fuck I'm saying. When, um, you know, higher-ups, dickheads in charge, all of that shit. When that just, you mean, ruins things. Like, so, at the moment, it's the Rugby World Cup, which I kind of forgot about. But, um... Yeah, I remembered at the weekend, and um, there's another thing that we ended up watching. So, um, yeah, it w- we watched um, England against uh, New Zealand. Um, just, well, we knew the result. We are just interested to see what the fuck happened. And so, like New Zealand do, before, before the game, they do a hacker, which, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like the hacker can be intimidating, but it depends who's doing it. When you've got like a mahaka like Jonah Lomu, a big ass kind of machine doing a hacker, that's a little intimidating. Like the New Zealand team, there's a few big players, but they're not as big as some New Zealand teams. So wasn't really that intimidating. But what the England team was, what they did, um, is so you usually line up in a line, right? So when the hackers started, they kind of went into a um, a V formation, okay? Now, some people are like, oh my god, uh, the, the, what, look at, the incredible response England did to the intense New Zealand hacker. No, it's not an incredible. They changed formation. It's as simple as that. You know, it's just one of those things. People blow shit way out of proportion. But about getting into this formation, a, a, a few players at the end of the V crossed the halfway line. Not a lot, just a little bit over the line. And because of that, they've been fined £2,000. Which is just... Ugh. It's kind of pathetic. Right? Listen. If people do... Like... You mean, if there's an egregious violation, fine. Issue fines. If people are disrespectful, if people are, like, discriminating... Do you know what I mean? If they're trying to intimidate the referee, any shit like that, boom. Do something. Fine. Stamp that shit out. But, right, you've slightly crossed the line. Slightly. And you've slightly crossed the line when a team are doing a hacker. An intimidating, you know, Dance, let's say At you What the fuck It just seems so inane Because that's the thing That hacker is done To intimidate Right So What You you change a formation And then like, It just seems all ridiculous like, no one's offended. New Zealand team aren't, weren't offended. They all thought, you know, for some reason, they all thought it was great. Which is fine. Do you know what I mean? But no one was, inti- no one was disrespected. 
everyone was fine with what happened. It was a good game. It was a really good game. So why then fight? You know what I mean? It was a clean game as well. It was a clean game. And the stupid higher-ups decide to do this thing, which kind of tarnishes it a little bit. You know what I mean? It just seems like a pointless thing and just, you know, a little money grab. Just a little money grab. They wanted some cash and they're like, oh, okay, we can make some some cashola because some people slightly crossed the line. Hmm. Dickheads. Really, it's just perfect. It really is. But, um, ugh, whatever. Fuck it. Uh, yeah, should we, um, get into the episode, alright, let, let's, let's get onto some other shit, okay, let's do that Okay, right, so I have literally just got back from a, um, a, a, a preview, uh, Tour of um, the new Bridget Riley exhibition at the Hayward Gallery on the um, on the South Bank. It's kind of just behind, round the corner from the Queen Elizabeth Hall. Um, yeah, like listen, if if you know the South Bank, if you know the the South Bank Centre, you'll 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 know where this is. And it's easy to find. Someone will point you in the right direction. But yes. So the, 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 this is a new exhibition. And it closes on the 26th of January 2020. Um, here is the blurb from the website. Hayward Gallery presents a major re- retrospective exhibition. Devoted to the work of celebrated British artists. Bridget Riley, developed in close collaboration with the artist herself and in partnership with National Galleries of Scotland. It is the largest and most comprehensive exhibition of her work to date, tracing both the origins and the evolving nature of Riley's innovative practice. The exhibition brings together the artist's iconic black and white paintings of the 1960s, expansive canvases in colour, early figurative works and recent wall paintings. Alongside Riley's best-known canvases, the exhibition will also include rarely seen drawings, studies and and preparatory materials that offer an insight into the artist's working methods from 1947 to the present day as well as continuum um, 1963 to 2005 the only three-dimensional work that the artist ever released Spanning 70 years of Riley's work, this exhibition offers visitors an unparalleled opportunity to experience powerful and engaging works by one of the most important artists of our time. The exhibition is organised by the National Galleries of Scotland in partnership with the Hayward Gallery. 
And um yeah, it's uh it's definitely an interesting view. So what I'm gonna do, I'm just gonna play you uh the kind of intro that the um tour guide gave. Okay, so check this out. exhibition was in 1971 and her second exhibition was 1992. Um, on those occasions it wasn't the whole gallery. Uh, one occasion it was just the upstairs, the next occasion downstairs and she also um, was part of a group show in 1985 and she also co-curated um, a Paul Clay exhibition here in 2002. So <laughs> The architecture of the building, um, Bridget Riley particularly enjoys the architecture of this building because it's so open and expansive. And the way the exhibition is organized, a couple of things to say about it is, you can go in any direction you wish to, which is possibly three ways, directly upstairs, <laughs> round the corner that way, or up the ramp. And a good way to explore it is to have in mind that the work is not displayed in a chronological way, but thematically. So each room, each room, each gallery space explores a different aspect of how Bridget Riley works. There is a huge range of Bridget's work here. It covers 70 years of her work, which is amazing. 70 years, it's actually, having had a look at the dates of the work, it's, it's over 70 years. The first piece of work is in the upstairs gallery where there's a section titled Beginnings. And the very first piece of work is, it's a self-portrait from 1946. So she would have been, she was born in 1931. So as a, a mid-teenager. So, it's over 70 years of her work. Um, yeah, I'll say a little bit about how the exhibition is organised then. So the first room that we will go to tonight, if you want to come around with me, is the black and white room over there. We've also got um, stripes over that way. We've got more recent work into that gallery off to the right, which is work that has got, it's very recent, 2019 is the work there. And then upstairs we've got work that's based on the, the shape of curves. We've also got the beginnings section, which I mentioned, is life drawings, self-portrait, portrait of her sister, and we've also got an area to do with it is called, yeah, studies. Couldn't think of the word there, studies. So that's a way of just getting more background information into how Bridget Riley composes her paintings. So yeah, when you go to studies, you can see that some of her work 
is made with, with getting strips of different colours, collaging work. So it's really fascinating to see how she actually creates these extraordinary art pieces. Um, she's not a mathematician. There was a, a really good radio programme on the other evening, Profile, whereby she says, you know, she's not a mathematician. All her work is created through her imagination and by looking. There isn't a kind of formula as such at all. So, what I would like to say now is a little bit about how to be with Bridget Riley's work. Um, it's about the enjoyment of looking and about sensation and about pleasure as well. There's a, a really great quote that I heard the other day, which is a, by an art critic, Susan Pagielta, who said, let yourself go by looking. <laughs> Can you still hear me at the back there? It's all right, yeah. Let yourself go by looking. So when you're with her work, rather than trying to understand how did she do it, you can do all that when you look upstairs in, in the studies. Let yourself go <coughs> by looking. Really let yourself fall into the work. Um, my background is as an artist, I work with, with movement. So my way of enjoying the work is, is being with it, moving alongside it, looking into it closely, looking into it at a distance. So just experiment, as Bridget has done, with, with how to look, how to enjoy, how, how to be with her work. I'm going to give you some, um, enjoy this bit, because they're, like, they're really, really descriptive words. Um, here's words that I found in some press reviews about what it feels like to be with Bridget Riley's work. So, dizzying, disorientating, ultimately dazzling, dynamic potentialities of optical phenomena, threats of crisis and discord, and then harmony tingles and wobbles, jiggle and reform, forms drifting in and out of focus, compression, expansion, elongation, move, wave, pulse, curves that bulge out at you, disorientate, make dizzy, Shimmer, a helter-skelter of excitement, movements that move and make you move, like a kind of sherbet on the eyes that fizz, snap, crackle, sizzle and pop. That's especially relevant to the black and white section. Paintings that make you look, that make you look at the experience of looking. Paintings that make you almost fall over, make you wobble. 
paintings that are surprising, joyful, an experience of sensation and of passion. So hopefully you'll, you'll have some of that going on while you're walking around. Um, <coughs> the other key piece of information I'd like to say is Bridget's um, inspiration for her work. It's very much about nature and about light. So Bridget has also said that when you're with her work, there is a kind of threshold. You might look at it and think, oh, I can't look at that. That's making me just feel too disorientated. But she said just to try and go beyond that threshold. It might feel a bit uncomfortable looking at her work, but to try to push beyond that threshold. Um, there might almost be a bit of resistance or a barrier, but to go beyond that. And she hopes that people will make an effort to step across this threshold. And once you're the other side of that threshold, it isn't so uncomfortable that you can move around these paintings and you can find a way to inhabit her paintings and to enjoy the places and the spaces that are built there. So, yeah, going back to um, nature. So, yeah, um, Something Bridget Riley has said was about the experience of going to art college. She wasn't so interested in art, she was interested in the actual experience of looking. So she felt to go to art college would be a great place to submerge herself in this interest that she has of, of looking. So, and also this final quote, I'll say here is, she says, my work is ultimately inspired by nature. Not nature as a landscape, but by nature as the dynamism of a visual force. That it's an event, nature is an event rather than an appearance. And there's also this, this wonderful description that Bridget Riley gave of when she was um, a young child. She was born in Norwood in South London, yet during the war she was evacuated to Cornwall near Padstow. And she lived a very, very simple life in a place that um, didn't have running water in the house and there wasn't electricity. So she said that having very simple things around her really got her to work with her imagination. And one of the things she loved doing was swimming. So there's a wonderful description of Bridget swimming in the sea um, at Padstow and how she talks about swimming in the sea and the sea just being this myriad of lights and of reflections and the shadows being these dark pinpoints of, of black. And there was no set form anymore, but this complete shimmer all around her, and that it was like swimming through the point of a diamond. So that's a lovely quote. So perhaps when you look at some of Bridget's work, you'll have this experience of her memory of swimming through the point of a diamond, being submerged in, in light and sensation. 
So I think I'll leave it there for now. I'll, I'll just say something about um, this painting here. So for those at a distance looking at it, it probably looks like circles, which it is. Yet if you work, walk, work, if you walk alongside the painting, it takes on a whole new dy dynamic. It's, it's really, it almost like rides and you've got tides to it. So much movement in it according to how you physically actually engage with the painting. Um, last week when I did the tour, there was a few questions about what, what happens to this work. So it gets scrubbed off the wall, erased, so it's very <coughs> ephemeral. So there's a few pieces that have been painted in the gallery by Bridget Riders and assistants. So, do, yeah, do enjoy those. And um, evanescence, here's a word, evanescence. It's about temporariness of nature and of light. So in a way, that this, these wall paintings are, are evanescence. They're, they're there, but may and will slip away. So I think we're begin, um, going around the gallery. Okay, so yeah. That's the, um, I think maybe some of that stuff would be of interest for people going to, you know, this exhibition. Um, now, what I found, it was very interesting. Uh, a lot of it, yeah, I couldn't look at a lot of it. But she does a lot of work with kind of squiggly lines and dots and things like that, which... Yeah, I can't look at. Yeah, if if I look, it just messes up my eyes. Like I could never look at those. Um, what are they called? That kind of hidden eye stuff. You know where people look at a load of dots, and for some reason, when when you really concentrate, you see a cat or something like that. Um, that shit doesn't work for me. It just makes me feel. So ill, like stripes. You know what I mean? Like, this is the thing. If, like, I've had to tell exes, I mean, like, yo, you, if I'm meeting you, you can't wear that dress or you can't wear that top because I can't look at you if you're wearing that. And so then you know it's not going well when they start wearing that shit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so there's a lot of that kind of work in there. Um, some of it I could see because it was more spaced out. It was kind of larger, and it was, so it was in. It was easier to kind of look at, and it's very interesting because there seems to be a, a kind of math mathematical methodology within the structure of the pieces, but supposedly there's not. But that's what it kind of seems like. There's this kind of symmetry and everything like that. So it's interesting from that point of view. What was really interesting, though, for me, the thing that really kind of was captivating. So um, as, you know, as the tour guide, I forget what her name is. Actually, I'm not even sure if she said her name. Maybe she did. Mm, I can't remember. But... um. So there's a section up in the um up up upper floors called studies, 
And so this was um, like sketches and kind of little breakdowns of what would become the like larger pieces. And that was really, that was very compelling to see, you know, that it was just like, oh, because you, because the way it was done, you know, like some of it was kind of done like it was a schematic for a building. Some of it is just kind of lines. And then next to it, you see like the actual version, which is completely different. But when you, you, you know, looking at the lines again, you're like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I can see how that is now that. Yeah, I get it. And so that's very interesting. You know, because it, it gives you this kind of insight into the way she sees things, you know, and, and the way, like, she kind of processes her work. So, yeah, I really like that section. That's the section that really jumped out to me. And the stuff I could <laughs> look at without any issues her people work that's interesting as well because you know like so the downstairs all that work that's all the kind of lines and the dots and all the crazy stuff I mean crazy for me I say it's crazy but yeah other people are just like yeah no that's really interesting that's cool but yeah so that's all downstairs so you see all of that and you think that's what she is. But yeah, you go up and you see um, her kind of people sketches and that kind of work. And it's just like, oh, because you don't expect it. You're, it's kind of like, uh, where did that come from? <laughs> and um, yeah, that's a, it's kind of interesting. Like, not all of them are great, but it, it's a, a, a kind of, a, you know, a different facet, a different kind of view into her mind. But it's not all great, but it's very interesting. It's very kind of unique to what you were expecting. And, uh, yeah, there, there are, there's like... um. A picture of, I think there's meant to be a self-portrait that's nice. It's a nice little self-portrait. Um, and then there's a, there's one that was good of, I think it was a, a naked lady with a back to you sitting on the edge of the bed. And then one with her standing. And I thought those were very nice. That was very nicely put together. Uh... So I think they were the three that really jumped out. I think there was a black and white one as well that was interesting. But yeah, there's some also some black and white pictures. There's one of trees. I believe it was trees. That was very good. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to see the scope and the actual variety of the work. Because when, yeah, when you are thinking, it is just um, lines and dots. And then... You know, you, you discover all these other variations. It's like, oh, interesting. But, um, yes, 
you know. As I said, look, this exhibition is at the Hayward Gallery and it is on until um it's on until the 26th of January 2020. Uh, so the Hayward Gallery is open 11am to 7pm every day, um, apart from Tuesdays when um, the gallery is closed. But on a Thursday, it's open um, a bit later. It's a late night uh viewings so on a thursday it's 11 till 9 p.m so yeah it's definitely worth checking and people if you are a member of the south bank hayward gallery is free which is always awesome and another little perk of membership you get to go to these the private member viewings so it's nice because you don't have a load of irritating kids or other irritating people there. Um, so yeah, you know, it was a it was a decent thing. Like the tour guide wasn't as good as some. I've been to like I think yeah, better viewings with um I think because she didn't really I think she couldn't really project that well. So it was always kind of going in and out, in and out, in and out. And yeah, the reach is a bit like, eh, you know. But, you know, it's always interesting. It's always interesting doing these little things, you know, popping out, getting that culture, you know, that, that shot of culture in. So yeah, it was it was fun and um yeah, I would say look, if you like those, I think the magic eye pictures. Yeah. If that you you love that kind of shit, if you like dots and stripes and stuff, it's worth checking. But yeah, this chick um this chick, <laughs> Bridget Riley, over 70 years of work. It's crazy, right? So yeah, it's worth checking. It's definitely worth checking out. So, um, yeah, Hayward Gallery people, go have some fun. Okay, people. So, you know, as always happens, hey, you know, what always happens right now is like, yeah, nearly every weekend it's a, it's a UFC weekend, right? Um, and we got another fun-ass card. This time it was um, from the Singapore Indoor Stadium. Uh, yeah, UFC went to Singapore, and it the main event was Damian Meyer v Ben Askren. So you know when you think about it, Damian Meyer probably I don't know maybe the best jujitsu practitioner in the UFC against. Ben Askren, who's, I don't know, I think maybe the best wrestling credentials in the UFC, maybe, mm, but then maybe it's Henry Cejudo, um, and then DC, Daniel Cormier, but Ben Askren is definitely up there, in like the top three, probably, um, so yeah, you've got two people at at the height of their 
respective discipline and um you know they were facing off in a five round main event so it was what was going to happen both fighters coming off hmm i think they're both coming off losses um Askren definitely was um i think Maya was as well yeah i think Usman beat him last um but yeah so this was interesting it's like what is going to happen um and um yeah so like in the build up uh, they were both saying hey you know we're not going to stand we're just going to fucking go to the ground see who's the best right uh well they did stand they did stand um yeah, they stood for um, three rounds. Yeah, three rounds. And um, stand-up was not pretty. <laughs> it was not pretty. And like, listen, like, Damien Meyer's stand-up isn't too bad. Like, fundamentally, he's kind of got it down. Right, it's not the sharpest, but yeah, you know, it's whatever. Ben Askren's stand up is horrible, horrible, really is terrible. Uh, but he did get a couple of t- he got two takedowns one in the first round, another in the second round, towards the end of the round, managed to get takedowns. So it's interesting, he didn't get a lot done with them. Not a lot of ground a pound or anything like that, but he got two takedowns. Maya did reverse him in the second round, but then Askren reversed back. So it's like, oh, this is getting interesting. In the third round, though, he took Maya down. Maya, yo, he was able to reverse, get the back, and um, yeah, do his thing. Sink in a rear naked choke. And, you know, it it was kind of like in the transition, Askren just gave it up. I think he thought that he probably could get, you know, out. But, yeah, it's just like never just give it up like that. And, um, yeah, Maya sunk it in. So it was a bit like, Urgh. you know what I mean? What happens now? But for the full breakdown, people... Check out this week's chin check. I cool, cool. All right, so this week I watched Woo Assassins uh, on Netflix. Um, it's from John Wirth and Tony Krantz. Oh gosh, um, I'm gonna mess these names up. Okay, so it's starring Iko Uwasi. Brian Mann, Liu Jun Li, Celia Wu, Louis Tan, Lawrence Chow, Tommy Flanagan, and Catherine Winnick. Uh, the pr- There's 10 episodes. They're about brr, 40, 45 minutes an episode. Um... And, yeah, the premise is this. 
Wu Assassins follows the story of Kai Jin, a young Chinatown chef in present-day San Francisco, as he becomes entangled with the Chinese triads' pursuit of deadly ancient powers known as the Wu Jing. After an encounter with a mystical spirit, Kai reluctantly becomes the Wu Assassin, using his enhanced martial arts skills to recover supernatural powers from five modern-day criminals threatening to use them to destroy the world. Yeah, so... Hmm, okay, well... Like... I have to say, so yeah, it's ten episodes, and this was like I was pretty engaged. There's, you know, it's crime, martial arts, science fiction, you know, supernatural, and all that shit. So it's kind of like uh, things I enjoy to watch at times, you know, melded together. And as a kid, I just remember watching the late night, and it was late night. Um, there'd be all these kind of mystical martial arts shows on Channel 4. So I would, because I couldn't sleep from, boy, early, man. Um, so, yeah, I remember on ITV, you used to have NBA and American Gladiators. So I'd watch that. And then on Channel 4, after that all finished, you could flip over to Channel 4 and watch these crazy martial arts films with people shooting lightning out their hands and all of that and flying, kind of like the the Monkey Magic TV series, Um, also on Channel 4, but over here. So, you know what I mean? I like that's always fun. It kind of, I was like, ooh, it kind of reminded me of that. And so, um, yeah, the first few episodes, they're engaging. They're like, okay, got these characters. Oh, and he gains this this power. Hmm, how's this all going to play out? Um, and, yeah, it's a little interesting. But then, I guess, the uh, the cliches... Start to drop Uh, And At the beginning There's not too Like there's definitely a few But you're like Okay I can You know what I mean I can cope with this This isn't Too bad Um, Like you know The friend that no one trusts And then you find out He's been telling the truth All this time (laughs) <laughs> the cute girl who, hey, you kind of had a thing with uh, You're not sure if your friend likes her too But you've kind of drifted apart uh, You know, the guy that's the reluctant hero But, you know, now he's going to kick ass and save the day So you have all of these things And then meeting someone randomly But then trusting them with everything So we have all of this And you're like, okay, okay But then more hit And more hit And you're like, oh, god 
damn it, man. Now, uh, this is getting frustrating. This is, and I think a problem is, right? And I've said this with other programs. Back in the day, you could get away with a lot of this stuff, right? And when I say this stuff, I mean, so, you know, you, you have in a series, um, I don't know, just doing kooky shit. Just doing some kooky ass shit. Right? Or, or, um, oh, Trying to think of an example of outspoiling plot points, yeah, it can be a bit frustrating. But yeah, I guess just relaying information and going, oh, who's gonna believe me? And, and, and this kind of stuff. But it's just like, look, everyone's got like phones that can record and take pictures and, and things like that. So there's ways of getting some evidence. You know, there's ways of relaying information quickly to people. So we have all of that. But these shows decide not to utilise it. But then that makes the viewer go, wait, but why don't they just do that? You know, if they can't find something, why don't they just look on, you know, Apple, Google Maps, whatever. Whatever map programme you want to use. Why don't they just... Because it never makes any sense. You know, it, like, literally never makes any sense, some of the decisions that get made. And, uh, yeah, so that's all, it all becomes that thing, and it makes the story a bit like, yeah, I don't believe this. Because, yes, I understand, look, it's science fiction, you know, it's supernatural, it's crazy, like, you, you look, you want to have fun, so you suspend your imagination for that. But when they ignore something that's just like, why would you do, all you would do is pull your, and just, that then brings you out. But you've tried to suspend yourself, you've tried to be like, yes, I'm in because of this. And then you're like, eh. It's like, Fingerprints on guns Okay I think Nowadays people understand Look Fingerprinting So I'm going to wear gloves Or If they had a character Go alright I'm going to do this I'm going to wear gloves Then but, you know what I mean, something happens and, and maybe they can pull a, a partial or there's a hair, he snags it on his jacket or something like that that makes it a bit like, oh, yes, you could miss that. I believe that. But to have a gun and then leave the gun and run off, you're just like, no. Like, if someone's going to go and do they'd wear gloves. They would wear gloves. Or you're not going to take a gun from that sort of person because you understand that gun is most likely being used for other shit and you wouldn't want to be tied to that shit. So, yeah, it's stuff like that that just makes you go, yeah, no, I'm out. 
I'm out. And it's just, it's just like foolishness. It's like, you know, we see it oh, too much. Like, this is really important. I'm entrusting it to you. Every time you see that, you know, fine. Well, something's going to come up. Obviously. Obviously. You know, it's just like, ugh. No. I don't buy it. It's, it's, it's silly now. It's just way too silly. And just these things kept on happening more and more and more and more. So you don't care. They they try and put in this storyline oh, about the police chief and his family. We don't see him enough for any of that to resonate. Any of that to make you go, oh, I wonder what's going to... It's like, don't care. I don't know them. <laughs> you know? So it's a bit like, it just becomes a bit silly in the end. And, like, the whole payoff is just, yeah, you kind of just predict. You can predict everything that is coming. Everything that's coming, you're just like, yep, yep, no, I see that. I see that. And and now I'm, yeah, I don't care. I, you know what I mean? It's lost my interest. Like, another thing about these kind of shows that bugs you is the fact that everyone supposedly knows martial arts. And you're just like, what? No. Why would everyone suddenly know martial arts? Everyone doesn't know martial arts. Like, if you just had some people that maybe box, yo, fine. They don't know martial arts, but maybe they do a bit of boxing. Or just, they just don't. Like, that was the fun. I remember, um, oh, which Indiana Jones is it? And you've got the guy comes, a big guy, and he pulls the swords and he's flipping it around. And, bah, 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 and then Indiana Jones just pulls the gun and shoots him. That's, that's the kind of shit that you think should happen more. Because, yeah, not everyone is suddenly a skilled fighter. And if you are a skilled fighter, you do know martial arts, you're not pulling moves like arm bars and shit like that in fights in the street. In a street fight, you're not doing those moves because they're too risky. You're looking to try and take someone's back and choke them out. Do you know what I mean? Like, get on top and just ground and pound them. It's just simple shit. You're not doing all of this fancy fucking shit. But that's... They always want to put that in. It was, I think that was one of the good things about, like, shit like the, um, the raid and Ombak. Because, yo, those fights were brutal, but realistic. Realistic to what was happening it was it was a fight to main and kill, not a fight to be. Hey, I'm gonna throw in these fancy moves. Woo! Look at me. You know, and that's what makes sense. Uh, and it's a shame that a show that kind of showed some promise at the start just faded into some derivative, just. St- 
stereotype cliche. That's what it felt like. That's what it felt like. I will say though, listen, it, it all of it plays out like um things like the modern take on Merlin or Robin Hood or the Three Musketeers. Go, you know, that's what this show kind of reminded me of. Something like that. So I would say if if you enjoy shows like that. If you enjoy shows like, um, you know, Xena Warrior Princess or the, the Hercules show, then, you know, I've kind of feel that something like this, Wu Assassins, this is your wheelhouse because that's how it plays for me. It plays like one of those shows. And I hated those shows. Those shows definitely were not my cup of tea. So, although I'm like, yo, this is what I thought was bad about this show Listen, understand, it's not made for me This show definitely is not made for me So, anyone that likes stuff You know, like those shows I've just mentioned If you're a fan of things like that Yo, you'll love this And I think even if you're a fan of things like True Blood um, supernatural, yeah, this kind of ties into all of that, so yeah, you'll love it, we're assassins, and you can watch it on Netflix right now, so, um, hey, go check it, if this sounds cool to you, you know, boom, Okay, so this week I read Fallen by Benedict Jacker. It is book 10 in the Alex Vera series. And the breakdown on um, Audible and Goodread is this. For Mage Alex Verus, everything is on the line in the 10th urban fantasy novel from the national best-selling author of Marked. Once Alex Verus was a diviner, trying to live quietly under the radar. Now he's a member of the Light Council, who's found success, friends and love. But it's come with a price. The Council is investigating him, and if they find out the truth, he'll lose everything. Meanwhile, Alex's old master, Richard Dracker, is waging a war against the council and he's preparing a move that will bring Alex and the life mage Anne under his control. Caught between Richard and the council, Alex's time is running out. To protect those he cares for, Alex will have to become something different, something darker. These books, god damn it man, I am loving these books. They are so enjoyable. And I think, I, and I've said this before, right? That one of the things I really like about them, it would, you know, it's the, um, it's the Marvel Netflix thing. <laughs> so for that to make sense, it's like this, right? So for years... Yo, there's been comic book stuff on TV. 
But, like, the thing I always hated is just, like, things would throw down in one episode. The next episode, it's kind of like nothing happened. You know what I mean? Like, nothing before this episode had ever happened. Like, you know, the fact that he'd been in an all-out crazy-ass fight the last episode. Nah, you would never have guessed. Because there's no damage. There's nothing. But when Marvel made, you know, Daredevil, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, Punisher, Defenders, Iron Fist, all of that on Netflix. Like, you'd see Daredevil, you know, get beat up. And then Matt had to go into court. And he's like... Walking gingerly, you know, trying to cover up all the bruises on his face, making excuses. And then when he's daredevil, he you know, gets a punch that normally you take, but he can't because he's all bruised. And you'd see that wear over a few episodes. You know, it just doesn't miraculously disappear. And that is what it should be. And I think that's the thing about these books. We are seeing the accumulation of effect. So, you know what I mean? All the the crazy shit that's been happening, we see that. But then we also see the friendships and how they are, are growing or disintegrating. You know, everything is building upon each other. And, you know... I think you really get that from good writers. And Benedict Jacker is definitely one of those. You know, these books, they are so interesting in, in the fact that we are seeing, you know, and also we're seeing stuff that has been mentioned in past books come to light now. You know, especially things like, um, so there was stuff in the last book, Marked, and it was about, like, um, you've got to become something greater than yourself, and we see him do a, a few things, but then it's kind of like, eh, you know what, no, and we see that come to, to roost now. Like there was a prophecy made in the last book And now we are seeing You know, that come to bear And I think that's the real interesting stuff You know, how it's all been layered And put together And there's like there's an argument Okay, so something has happened and um i think w so we're seeing um yeah like alex have to talk to someone about this because knowledge has now come out and i think the reaction because it's kind of like oh this could all just blow up, right, but because of what has gone before, we see a logical outcome, now, a lot of times in these kind of things, 
we we have people have you know what I mean a, a big row will occur and a, and then the fallout of that will be a certain way because it's an easy it's an easy thing to do to create animosity and to take um characters in different directions as a, a you know as a misdirect so then you can bring them back at the last moment and blah blah and it's always terrible but you always think to yourself that doesn't make any sense because it's all about intent and these people know each other so why would they be acting like that so yeah jacker you know he's he wrote it in a way where it's not like that it's more logical and I respect the fuck out of that. You know what I mean? It's just... Yeah, the way he's put this together... Is fantastic. It's a great book. So, And I think at the core of it... Now, this might not be the intention... But it seemed at the core of the story... We, we have the whole kind of thing of... Okay... If you could, um, like, if you have got a choice that you can protect people that you love, but by doing it, there's a big cost to yourself, to the, to the happiness that you have right now. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you will protect the people. But your life is now completely different. You know, you will be the loser, even though you've kind of saved the day. Like, would you do it? Or would you take this other deal where, you know, no one dies, everyone's cool, but you kind of got to sell your soul. So he gives this dilemma. You know what I mean? Like, what would you do? Like, what are you prepared, at what lengths are you prepared to go to say people that you have supposedly professed to love and care for? And that's an interesting one. Because now, like, your your friends, your people you know, they, of course, they'll be like, yeah, yeah, no, I've got your back, all of this shit. But when shit goes down, you you actually see, you actually see the results. And a lot of times, yeah, these people that have supposedly got your back, they don't have your back. So I think this was like it was interesting to see what Alex was going to do and how he was going to do it. And this was written in the way of, you know what I mean? There's definitely deliberation. There's definitely looking at the angles. So it was a well thought out. You know, it was very nuanced. And interesting as hell. Because you're just like, because I think even as the reader, you're a bit like, hmm. Well, technically, I think he's going to, but I don't see how he can. So the only the only way is doing this, and then maybe you're know, like pulling a little snide one and blah blah blah. 
You know what I mean? Because it's just like, well, how the fuck is that going to work out? So it, it was great to see this moment happen and and how it was all structured. Because it, it, it was extremely well written. It was a well played hand. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Really did. But I think then... You you know what I mean? We we have the end of the book. And it's like it's not all let's have a parade. Huzzah! Sure, there are definitely repercussions. And so we have this somber situation. But it all makes sense. It's all like oh god damn. You know what I mean? Like, how the hell do you go... Like, where do you go from here? Like, what happens? Because this ain't great. (laughs) This definitely is not a good thing. So it's all really interesting the way the book, you know what I mean, culminated. Like, has been set up for the next... And I, I, yeah, so that was really interesting. Hey, we also have the return of someone in this, which is just like, you're someone that I wasn't expecting to see. Yeah, I, I think, no, you know, because we haven't seen this person in the longest. So I don't think anyone expected to see them again. And. You know, let's just say, look, Alex ain't in a good place. Like, everything that's happened in this book, there's definitely a lot of loss. And kind of people that you weren't expecting to now go. So it's, it's really just the landscape is so interesting. So interesting. Like, I just can't wait. For book 11 And I, and you know what I mean I had to go on to um, I had to go on the Goodreads Have a little look around And so from what I can make out Jacker is currently in the process Of finishing off book 11 And I think next year He said Oh and I'm hoping to finish the ne- the last one next year Which would mean we're getting 12 books Getting 12 books in this series So we should have a book 11 out next year And then book 12, 2021 If all goes to plan So, I, I, yeah, I'm assuming that's what all of that means Which would make sense And because technically I'm not a fan of series That go on and on and on and on and on And usually, like, things that are kind of, you know, 12 books deep, you're a bit like, ugh. Because you see the quality dip. But there's a few where things have been like, oh, this is still good. And this series is still really frigging good. You know what I mean? I think, um... Ben Avronovich's Rivers of London, that's another killer series that's still going from strength to strength. 
But yeah, I'm look book ten, fallen. Oh, people, you all, if you enjoyed hearing the last book marked, this is not going to be a disappointment, trust me, you will love this book, it is so good, like, just character driven, the story, like, everything makes sense, from where we start to where we finish and how we get there, and so, yeah, you will love it, this is great. I think, listen, it, it, it's like, you know what I mean? I think if if you're new, if you've not read any of this series before, and you're like, oh, this sounds interesting, you're going to have to start at the beginning. Because, you, yeah, you can't, because, like, technically you could read this book, because it's well written and all of that, but there's going to be so much that's going to go over your head, so you're going to have to go back to number one. So all I can say is, if you've enjoyed the series so far, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. And people, if you haven't read this series, and you've liked things like um, Mike Carey's Felix Dexter. Felix Dexter or Felix Caster? I think it's Felix Caster. Yeah, if you've liked that series, you'll love this. As just mentioned, if you liked um, Ben Aronovich's River of London series, the whole Peter Grant and all of that, you this is all you people. You'll love Alex Virus. So, yeah, go check it out. But start book one, people. Start book one. So, yeah, this was book 10, Fallen, um, by Benedict Jacker. Um, it, oh, I should say who, um, who narrated it as well was, yeah, another good job by, um, Gildert Jackson. So yeah, listen, it's, it's great quality, does not drop and it's a great ending. So yeah, check it out. Fallen Benedict Jacker, book 10 in the Alex Virus Series Yes people So we have come to the end Of another episode Yet yeah, no No TV news Because I've just got my voice Working Pretty much You know back to 100 And I don't want it to get fucked Again So we're going to be out But gonna be back next week people so um yeah see you then might have a little breakdown of some comedy who knows what's gonna happen all right cool you uh you take it easy enjoy your weeks and see you next wednesday peace